May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. If sometime during the past week you happen to take a look at the readings appointed for this third Sunday in Easter, which you can always do on the website, incidentally, you probably noticed that tonight I had us read a considerably longer passage from the book of Acts than is indicated on the website. For some reason, the passage set out in the lectionary cycle of readings picks up after the healing of the crippled man, making it a bit difficult to figure out what it is that Peter's on about in his sermon to the apparently astonished bystanders. Well, we heard read aloud the account of the healing of that crippled man, of how jumping up he stood and began to walk, And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So we have at least a decent sense of why the people who witnessed it were utterly astonished. But you know, we actually need a little more context than that to get the full sense of what's going on here in this reading. Right before this story of the healing of the crippled man begins there's offered a description of the life of that early Christian community, the end of the second chapter of Acts, which describes how, quote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and how, quote, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, over the centuries, this practice or this picture of communal living has inspired any number of movements to attempt to do something of the same thing, to hold all things in common and to build a life around the apostles' teaching around fellowship or community, the breaking of bread and prayer, it's certainly what inspired the Benedictine monastic movement, or at least part of what inspired them. But it's also movements as varied as the Hutterites, the Brudehoff, the Catholic worker, and most recently, the new monasticism, who have responded to that vision of the ancient church as being that kind of a community. Not all such experiments have had much staying power. Human personalities can so easily get in the way of something like the sharing of goods. But the greater risk for such communities is that they begin to become very inward-focused, hived off, away from the nitty-gritty of the wider society, they become more concerned about maintaining their own life and their own existence than they are about anything else. So it's actually significant to note William Willimon's observation that in this section of Acts, Luke goes to great pains to show that the church's gathering to break bread, teach, and pray joyfully was in no way a detour around the misery of the world. For no sooner had Peter and John gone up to the temple to pray 
than they are confronted by a man who has been lame since birth. The path towards significant prayer, writes Williman, is a way that goes straight through, not around, human misery. Watch. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. And when the man saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. It's not hard to picture that scene, is it? You can see this man lying on the ground by the gate to the temple, hoping that the people who were coming and going, coming and going to do their religious duties, in fact, would be moved to give him a bit of survival money. I mean, he had friends who apparently were prepared to to carry him and lay him in that place day after day. But no other means of survival in a world without anything resembling a social safety net. And of course, that ancient world was also one that more or less assumed that a physical affliction be it lameness of body or blindness or deafness, any physical affliction was a sign of some deep spiritual or moral failing. That's simply assumed. You can imagine how living under that weight would have pretty much ground all hope out of the man's soul. Just bread for today, please. Peter looked at him intently, as did John, and said, Look at us. Peter and John looked intently right at the man. They chose to actually see him rather than to just step around him and hurry to their prayers. And Peter says to the man, Look at us, which now seals this as a real meeting between people. Eye contact will do that, you know. And what is it that we so often do when a stranger looks like he or she is about to approach us for help or a handout? I know what I do. It's much easier to look away and to keep moving by, right? It's so easy to do that and to ignore them as a reality. The story continues says, as the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, maybe enough money to buy tonight's supper, maybe just a piece of bread, he dare not hope for more. He cannot hope for more. After all those years of lying there, day in, day out in that place, he can't dare to hope for anything more. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, that's such a vivid picture. Walking and leaping, dancing with delight in praise of God. Well, the people saw him, and they recognized him as that guy. Is that, that's, a, that's a guy who's always lying out there in, in, in the gateway. All those years begging for alms. And so they were predictably filled with wonder and amazement. The man clung to Peter and John, Luke tells us as he writes the story. And all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. And that's the segue to Peter's address to the people gathered there in the temple who had just borne witness to something remarkable. He begins by diverting all credit away from himself and from John. This isn't about us. He says, Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? And instead, he directs their attention to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, and to his servant Jesus. Jesus, whose execution many of those people in the temple that day would have witnessed just a month or two earlier. Not only witnessed, probably there were many there who had called for the crucifixion, who had supported it just a few months earlier. You rejected the holy and righteous one, Peter says to them. You killed the author of life. Pretty strong words. You killed the author of life. You can imagine that at that point, some in the crowd felt their astonishment begin to kind of fold into something a little closer to hostility. And when Peter makes his claim that, quote, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, there were surely some who rolled their eyes and thought, oh, there's that nonsensical rumor again. They don't buy it. Peter's unrelenting. To this we are witnesses, he continues, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong. And now, friends, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God. And repent means literally kind of turn around. Drop your old habits and assumptions, turn around, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Clean slate. Peter, you see, is singularly disinterested in locking the gospel away in some safe and inward-gazing, idealized community. No, his deepest hope is that what has happened to him will happen to everyone. And so he will speak his proclamation right in the heart of the city. It's not saved for some rarefied atmosphere of a community that gathers 
for fellowship, the breaking of bread, to pray and learn together. He takes it into the marketplace. And remember, by denying that he even knew Jesus, Peter was the disciple who had most clearly failed his Lord on the night of his arrest. Peter is that man no more. Well, as the story unfolds into the next chapter of Acts, we discover that Peter and John's boldness comes at a cost. And so the two of them are arrested. They're arrested for what is considered the blasphemous claim that they're making that Jesus is Messiah. And yet, Luke notes, many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. The Spirit is indeed on the move. The gospel is anything but locked up in a closed, inward-gazing community. But remember, this whole scene begins with Peter and John actually stopping to speak with the crippled man at the temple gate, to look at him and to invite him to look at them and to speak together. As the New Testament scholar Mitzi J. Smith suggests, if we really hear the claim this story makes on us, we need to learn to seize opportunities to stop and gaze into human eyes, sharing the human touch by which God might restore a human life. By their simply looking into that man's eyes, he is already raised up, raised up from being a mere beggar living under the weight of a prejudice that says he must have done something to deserve that crippling life, raised from that to being a human being, a person created in the image of God. They do that simply by looking at him and talking to him. And then he's quite literally raised to his feet to dance in delight and wonder. Now, I know it's complicated. And that picture of walking down the street and somebody coming up to you, I know that it's fraught with all kinds of other decisions and baggage, right? What are they going to do with that? What does it mean for me to put a loony in somebody's coffee cup who's standing in front of Hull's bookstore because they know it's Christians coming and going? What does it mean if I walk around that and put my loony instead into the little collection box for Siloam Mission? How do, we, how do we navigate the complexities that are involved with street people and sque- squeegee kids and so on? I think we have to be a little uncomfortable with it. I know one of the things... And there's lots of stories about this, people actually daring to do this. In fact, Catherine did this just a couple of weeks ago in stopping and recognizing somebody who was looking for help on a street corner and taking them in and having a meal with them. That's a kind of a raising up of a whole different order. I had an experience, it was a couple of summers ago, I guess, in, uh, in our neighborhood in St. Boniface, there's a, a kind of a big strip mall with, you know, a Salisbury house and the Shoppers Drug Mart and Liquor Commission. 
And I was walking across this parking lot to go to a store, and this guy came up to me, and he had a handful of change, and he was sort of counting through, and he says, Excuse me, I, I need 50 cents more for a king can. Can you help me? I sort of thought, good on you for being that honest. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> 50 cents. I mean, I don't know, but you make these, you're faced with these questions, right? I think the important thing is that we seek ways to look at people and to see them as people, not simply as an inconvenience or a bother or a threat as we make our way through our much more comfortable lives. But you know, sometimes the person into whose eyes we most need to really look and with whom we really should be sharing authentic human connection won't even be the proverbial stranger at the gate. It might be the person living next door, the person who works or studies alongside of you who you don't really know, even the person sitting next to you or across from you in the church pew who you see but you've never really seen or spoken to. But we won't know them. We won't know any of that until we actually raise our heads like Peter and John and start really seeing who it is there across from us or beside us or on the road as we walk. And to raise our heads and to see, that too is a resurrection act. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.